Welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. You're listening on EWTN Radio or St. Gabriel Radio. Beyond Damascus is carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hello and welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. My name is Dan Demite, one of the executive directors here at Damascus. I'm joined here with my good friend Brad Pierrot. What's up? Good What's to be up? here, Dan. This and we awesome. have, Brad, we have a special guest today, That's Father right. Drake McAllister. Father Drake, Father Drake yes. good to have you on the show. That's what I'm talking Glad about. Glad to be here. Yeah. Man, you guys have a treat today in Father Drake because not only is Father Drake a, a convert to Catholicism, from Pentecostalism, which we're going to have all kinds of fun things to talk about that. But Father Drake, we're here live at Catholic Youth Summer Camp. And so you may hear here in the studio, you may hear some kids screaming in the background. We have archery tag going on across the field, paintball in the woods. (laughs) So if you hear some, like some screams, that's just normal. That's like, Mm -hmm. like everyday life here at Catholic Youth Summer Camp at Damascus. Uh, But you're here, Father Drake, because your children are campers this week is that right Mm -hmm. close i do have children they're not campers this week they'll be here later in the summer because they said dad i can't believe you're going to damascus to be priest for a whole week and i said yes and they looked at me and said wait you're not coming to our week, oh, are you? Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so they want their own space. That's actually really good. It's, it is, absolutely. yeah. M- yeah, yeah. More on that and my kids later. But, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so. But, but Father, you, you're, you, you help teach catechetics and theology at Franciscan yes. University of Steubenville. We're mm-hmm. kind of fans of that place. Yeah. And you're a married priest with children. So that, I'm sure, has an interesting dynamic yes. going on in your life. So we're going to have a Indeed. lot of fun conversation today mm-hmm. regarding that. Brad, why do we do the po- this podcast? What's yeah. the purpose? So the purpose of the podcast is to bring people into a life of mission, right? Mm. And Father Drake, you're living a life of mission in so many facets, as you were talking about, um, between vocation and occupation and all the things the Lord's had you do. But really, the point of this podcast is the point of our summer camp. It's the point of uh, all the missions that we do as Damascus. It's to bring people into into an authentic encounter with Jesus, and from that place, allow them to build a life of mission off of it. And so that's what... We'll discuss a little bit about today, I yeah, guess. Yeah, exactly. And I love, Father, as we dive into your mission. Oh, man, when we always say at camp, like, live the adventure, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. when you follow Jesus Christ, your life is an incredible adventure. And you never really know when you say yes to him where mm-hmm. he's going to lead, right? So you say yes to the Lord at a young age. He leads you into Pentecost. I mean, he leads you to be a pastor in Pentecostalism tradition. And then he leads you into the Catholic Church. And then years later, he leads you to be a priest. Like, what mm-hmm. the heck? You yeah. have no, like, yep. only the Lord can write a story like that. So Amen. why don't we open in prayer, and then we'll dive into your testimony. In the name of the Father. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Holy Spirit, we love you. We just give you uh, praise and glory and thanksgiving. We thank you for the many gifts you pour out into our lives, into this church, so that we can minister with you, uh, for you, and through you. We pray that you would bless this conversation. I just pray that the fire of the Holy Spirit would well up inside of the listeners' hearts, inside of our own hearts here as we record this podcast, that we would uh, hear what God is calling us to do with our lives, and that we would follow Him no matter where He calls. We pray this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Awesome. I think, you know, the, the word that's been on my heart a lot in prayer lately, and, and it just kind of like, the, if just 
to simplify Christianity or to simplify holiness has simply just been the words of Mary at the wedding feast of Cana, do whatever he tells you. And I feel like if we could just drill that into our own lives, into our own hearts, into the hearts of those that we minister to, like, what do I do with my life? Just do whatever he tells you. What do I do today? (laughs) Do whatever he tells you. What do I do five years from now? Do whatever he tells you. What do I do? Like, how do I raise my family? Do whatever he tells you. Like, how do I minister to this person? Do whatever he tells you. It's just the simplicity Mm -hmm. of just daily being in relationship with Jesus and mm-hmm. listening to him, even when it doesn't make sense. Like, he's mm-hmm. like, hey, you see those dirty purification jars? Uh, go fill those up with water, water. and I'm going to turn them into wine. Like, mm-hmm. that's irrational. It yeah. doesn't, like, yeah. Jesus, that doesn't happen. That doesn't help us bring wine. We're filling them with water, and you're telling us that we should just bring them back full when our entire yeah. job is to bring back wine? Yeah. It's like, okay, so we're going to fill up gallons and gallons of water. You haven't told us yet you're going to turn it into wine. So that sounds yeah, like we're wasting time. We're wasting time. Yeah, this, right. a, we're, we're, and, but that's what our call is, just to do whatever he tells you. And right, I think that's right, what we'll right, find right, with right. your testimony, Father. You just kind of did whatever he told you. Can you start maybe, how did you fall in love with Jesus? I think that's the most important part of every person's story, the yes. love story. Amen. I'd say two, two key places. Uh, number one, my, my family. Oh, I yes. have uh, an amazing mom and amazing dad who I moved out here to Ohio in 2015, so they now live with us. They're still not Catholic. And my mom probably would be super happy if I came over in this campus week and said, you know what? I'm done. I'm leaving the Catholic Church. And she'd be like, I knew it. Finally, it would <laughs> You happen. just made a big mistake. Uh, but God bless them. The Lord did a lot of healing in, our, in that relationship. Uh, and so they live out here now in Steubenville in Catholic Town. With, oh, wow. Uh, they're surrounded by it all the time. Um, but mm-hmm. I just had amazing, mm-hmm. proactive parents that uh, not only took us to church, but engaged us in mission. They would take us to the um, local homeless shelter to help serve food. They would take Mm -hmm. us to local, um, you know, old folks' homes to go sing and serve, and we would volunteer at church. And so they were actively people filled with the Spirit, living on mission, and depositing that in in me and my sister's lives. But the second thing is, as I told the kids, as I preached on Sunday for the opening Mass, my life was lit on fire in a way, with a flame that has never gone out, at a summer camp when I was in seventh grade, at a week-long summer camp, and in a place where I could hear the Lord, be taught about the Holy Spirit, get prayed over, and uh, the Lord lit that flame in such a way. We went back to the cabin that first night, and we're like, who didn't get prayed for tonight? Jump in the middle. We're praying for the kids. Counselors are there. (laughs) The counselors are finally like, tap out. They're like, we're going to bed. And we just kept praying to like two in the morning and, and all these little junior high boys. And we just... We um, have curfews in our cabins, Father. <laughs> but by 11.30, lights are out. There's no uh, junior high boys praying with each other oh, at 2 a.m. <laughs> yes. That's incredible, though. Yeah, you talk That's about amazing. what does Pentecostalism have to give you. Yeah, this is yeah, what yeah, I'm learn from our brothers and sisters. <laughs> um, but, but really, that... that that was the moment when I talk about a lot of kids I talk to, you know, hey, what's your what's your what's your conversion story? And like, I grew up in the church, I don't have one. He said, Yes, you do. Every yep. person has a story of when you decided to own it. Yep. When it stopped being, well, here's what mom and dad do, but now here's what I do. Yeah. And for me, that was that was seventh grade. That was yeah, yeah it reminds me of John chapter one. Like there's that, there's always that moment. Like we all have that that conversion moment, that moment of encounter. And then yeah. that happens time and time again in our lives. But you can go back to the first time. And I remember yeah. uh, the first time I was reading through the gospel of John chapter one and recognized that John says it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. 
that like random mm. little detail. <laughs> that, it, yeah, but he but remembered. he remembered. He remembered yeah. when he was alongside Andrew and they saw John the Baptist say, "Behold, the Lamb of God." Yeah. And they looked and they said, "I think that's worth following." Yeah. Right. And then yeah. Jesus looks at them and says, "What are you looking for?" And and he recounts like it was <sighs> four in the afternoon because yeah. there's this moment yeah. that everything changed. Well, it's because he's a real person and you have a real relationship. And whenever you have mm-hmm. a real relationship mm-hmm. with a person, especially a person that's extremely involved in your life, yeah. you there's moments that you remember. I remember the moment I met my wife Amber, like yeah, like yeah, it yeah. was yesterday, right? Like that moment that I first saw mm-hmm. her in the mm-hmm. our first conversations. Mm-hmm. I remember that. I remember mm-hmm. Brad some of the first conversations we, we had, had and yeah. like those those mm-hmm. pivotal moments in where our relationship was began mm-hmm. and launched. Why? Because when you have a relationship with someone, so if you're like, and I grew up with my mom and dad always yeah. in my life, right? But I have moments of my childhood that I remember where I just fell in love with my dad, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. wow, dad is like, we're having this moment together, yeah. right? And yeah. so, yeah, and Lord, I just pray for anyone who maybe is in relationship mm-hmm. with you, but hasn't had that moment where they mm-hmm. really discovered you, that they would encounter you and they would hear your voice and they would just fall deeper and deeper in love with you. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Father, thanks for that uh, simple advertisement for Catholic Youth Summer Camp. So if anyone's <laughs> looking for an amazing experience for your seventh grader, we have high adventure camps called Catholic Youth Summer Camp we for do. middle schoolers <laughs> and high schoolers to set the fire of the Holy Spirit. We pray over our campers as well. Well, the campers pray over each other mm-hmm. or with each other for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is really important, especially yep. in those mm-hmm. younger years because because I think a lot of times we learn about the Holy Spirit, but we don't experience the Holy Spirit, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. it's it's one thing to learn about the gifts of the Holy Spirit or to be uh, to experience the sacrament in which we receive the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. but to have that sacrament inflamed in our life um, is often um, not taught or understood. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So how did, when when you were a seventh grader, ironically, that's when I fell in love with the Lord too. Mm-hmm. So cool. That's a good year. Um, what what launched after that camp? What changed? I would say <clears throat> what what changes with that encounter with the Holy Spirit. And you talk about yeah. Often we hear about the Holy Spirit, but we don't. Uh, we're not taught about what the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing. I think especially in Catholicism, where we often. We're, we're we're all we're good on the Trinity and we focus on it all the time, but often it's maybe more a theological perspective, mm-hmm. and and that encounter with the Holy Spirit. I think what it brings is uh, that expectation of where do you want me to go today, Lord? What yeah. what do you want me to do today? And and flipping that switch to mm-hmm. where as a kid, mm-hmm. beginning to think like that, like Lord, I I want to share my faith. I don't know if I have anything to say yet, but mm-hmm. I want to share my faith. Give me an opportunity. And, um, and that's when I talk about the Holy Spirit in our life, that's one of just the primary things he's to do and uh, should be giving us a sense of expectation mm-hmm. of what is God doing through me now and today? Where does he want me to go? I love that. He's yeah. given that for mission. He's the active agent that just keeps mm-hmm. us moving. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, he's a friend that takes us to the right places. I, I love that that comment that the Holy Spirit isn't a force or a feeling, but a friend. Yeah, yeah. And because with a friend, there's times when my friends, well, in, in our fallen world, uh, force me into things that are good and bad, but the Holy Spirit being the excellent <laughs> friend always brings me into things that are good. Yes. And there are sometimes these um, like zealous promptings that he gives us. They give this little nudge or this force in a direction, never in like a overpowering way, yeah. but always in this like invitational type way. 
And then there's also like feelings that accompany being with a good friend. Like I, I love that our missionaries, as they're formed over the course of the summer, there's this relationship they come into with the Holy Spirit where whenever they invite their friend to come into the room, there's an excitement, like a palpable excitement that like, Holy yeah. Spirit's going to come in today and, and he's going to show me new things about myself and new ways that I'm called to operate in the world. And I love that because he always, he always kind of um, propels us forward. I mean, that's, that's what he does for our church, right? As he propels yeah. us forward. Yeah. When you're saying that father is and to some extent, I give my life to Jesus, but my days are directed by the Holy Spirit in a way, you know, like Absolutely. Where, right. I remember when like, yeah, that, that moment where I just dedicated my life, I'm going to live for you yeah. for the rest I mean, of my life. And, but then what do I do today? Well, he says, behold, I'll be with you always. And how's he with us always at every moment, every, every second of the day he's with us. How? Through the Holy Spirit yeah. living inside of me. Yeah. Yeah. It's I amazing. Think one of the biggest mind blow scriptures is when Jesus says, it's better yeah. right, that I go away. Yep. So then I can send the Holy Spirit. And it's like, how is that possible? How? He's saying it's better to have the Holy Spirit in you. Yeah. God in you than Jesus physically here next to us. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. No, that would be awesome if Jesus stayed here. <laughs> yeah, that would be really nice. <laughs> but but he's like, no, no, because Christianity is not fixed in a location. Mm-hmm. It's, it's global. It's everywhere. Every people, every tongue, mm-hmm. tribe, nation. Mm-hmm. And so the Holy Spirit in us, God in you, the hope of glory, Christ in you, the hope of glory, that's what changed the world yeah. because he's now in us moving all of us or can move all and of us. And I think what you said is, is actually, it's just a deep truth. Yeah. I think one of the areas like the Catholic church loves and honors the Holy spirit, but a lot of times it is very theological as opposed to a, uh, daily application. Whereas in Pentecostalism, you really see not only a love theologically for the Holy Spirit, but a very, like, the Holy Spirit is involved in my daily life yes. and involved mm-hmm. in my relationships. Mm-hmm. And so when you're in middle school, when you're in high school, how's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with the Holy Spirit? How, how does that grow mm-hmm. um, through high school and lead you to that decision to become a pastor? Yeah. So, you know, I was... Again, solid family, so we're always engaged in church. There was never really a time that I really wandered away from the Lord. My heart was always ordered towards the Lord. Plenty of ups and downs of success with that. But through high school, got out of high school, and uh, man, so glad to get out of high school. I was like, (laughs) yes, I finally am out of jail. Uh, I'm never going back to school ever again. Uh, You couldn't pay me to go to college. Uh, I was not (laughs) interested at all. Well, the nice thing is they don't pay you to go to college. You have to pay them. You do actually have to pay them. That's that's not true. My (laughs) wife, they paid her to go to school. Oh, nice. So she's one of those She's one of those people. Me, I had to write, write, uh, you know, letters to get me to go past the remedial courses that they were going to make me take to overcome my low grades. Yeah. But after I got out of high school, um, I didn't really have a particular direction. I really was not college bound and uh, spent some years just working, but eventually entered a time of just seeking the Lord. Lord, what are you calling me to do? And, um, and it was during that time I had some uh, my college minister and some others uh, be praying with me. So I was in a specific time of prayer and discernment for this, and and I didn't I and I wasn't praying discerning over a specific thing. It was just Lord, what? Um, because so far all the doors I pushed on, there was just nothing right. And so I was down visiting a friend in L.A. We in California at the time, um, and he was they had a prayer service, and I just was in that prayer service. They were sending a, a mission team down to Mexico, and so I was I wasn't going on mission, but I was just there to pray with them. Yeah. And it's in that moment that that's where the Lord just came in, and as loud as God can talk without being audible and other people mm-hmm. hearing, mm-hmm. I literally walked into the room saying, Lord, what do you want me to do with my life? And it was just in that moment, and 
God says, I want you to go into full-time ministry, give me the rest of your life in service to me, and you need to go to college. Amen. There you go. Direction. And, <laughs> yeah, direction. And that's how I knew it was really the Lord, because I genuinely walked Didn't out of that. Didn't want to go to college. <laughs> no, but I, yeah, I genuinely walked out of that room totally ready for college. Like, wow. let's do it. And, oh, and, nice. So he gives you, and I love that because not only does he call you, but he gives you the grace for the yes, call. Yes, he does. Yeah. Amen. And, and I do think that there's a, um, I think there's such a wisdom in that. And I, I also want to speak to those times when Holy Spirit, he actually like sees our desires, honors them and calls us into that as well. Right. There's these times where he comes into our lives and it's clear that we didn't want to do something. And then he speaks a word and then we do want yeah. to do it. And then there's other times when I'm I have desires, and I'm like, I wonder if I should do that. And he comes in, gets behind those desires, and fans them into flame, if you will. Because the yeah. reason I want to bring that up is you were mentioning, Dan, that sometimes in the Catholic um, Church, just like in our experience of the Catholic faith, especially in the Western world, Holy Spirit isn't always an... What am I trying to say? Like someone next to us walking with us in our day-to-day life, but rather he's a theological concept and we know him to be a person, but it's at an academic level that we know him, not at a relational level. And I actually think some of that has to do with the fact that in the Catholic church, we do so well to talk about discernment, but a lot of times in discernment, we, we think that the only discernment is I don't want to do something, so I probably should. Yeah. Right, and, and, and because that does fall and, into and, a lot now, of but yeah. and the reason I'm saying that well, is if God is always going to call us to something yeah, that we it, don't want to do. And what I want to speak yeah. is He'll absolutely <laughs> do that sometimes, like college. Sometimes, yeah. and, but what I also want to absolutely speak is just like as we kind of like talk through the episode today is that I actually think us relinquishing the idea of all of our desires being bad, but rather giving all of our desires to God yeah. is the right disposition. So God, I I have a desire not to go to college, but if you desire me to. You you can break through and give me a grace to do it. Or God, I do desire to do ministry. Yeah. And now you're coming in and saying, yes, I bless yeah. that. To be fair, that. though, I never asked God, if you want me to go to college, let me know. That was never even on the table. <laughs> yeah, I, sure. that yeah, was, that's yeah. fair. That's I didn't fair. even ask that one. He just Not- like... Bam, just gave it to me because he knew I'd That's never amazing. asked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, giving that clear direction like you were saying, Dave. I think but anyway, something... I wanted to kind of stretch that out because I yeah. think there is a part of that that we we don't always welcome Holy Spirit next to us because sometimes he might be affirming something we desire and we think to ourselves, well, is that me or God? Yeah. Is that me or God? I don't know if I can be in a relationship with the Holy Spirit if he's affirming something I well, desire. Well, if you have a passion and a desire in your heart, who put it there? I, mean, right. I think yeah. that's the question. If, yeah. So if we think our passions and our desires are bad, yeah. if you have a passion for the medical world, if you have a passion mm-hmm. for education, mm-hmm. if you have a, whatever your passions are, we, who planted that passion inside mm-hmm. of you, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it's Surrendering the, yeah. it to God and if is you're, the important part. If you're operating, if you're in a state of grace, you can trust that mm-hmm. the passions and the desires in your heart yeah. are good. Yeah, well, and you can surrender like but, you did. Because like you said, you may not have said like, specifically permission to send me to college if you want, <laughs> but permission to do what you want. Yeah, amen. Right? Do whatever he tells to, you. Yeah. Permission so to do what you want. Another fun thing that you say about your testimony, and uh, I, I find this to be true about a lot of people, and we don't speak about it often. Um, I think sometimes when you go to a place where the presence of God is, I don't, it's thick, right? Yeah. Like there's it's palpable. Yeah, it's like yeah. palpable. It's so present. Yeah. Yeah. That, that all of a sudden you get clarity beyond doubt. And Ignatius yeah. of Loyola talks about different phases of discernment. Mm-hmm. And the best kind of discernment mm-hmm. is when there's clarity beyond doubt, when you just know yeah. that you know that you know mm-hmm. that God's calling you. And a lot of times in the midst of the fog, it, you, you could be foggy because you're in the world. Mm-hmm. And because you're in the world, you have the voice of the evil one, the voice of the worldly influence, the voice yeah. of worldly friends, all speaking to you. Mm-hmm. But when you go to a 
place, like this prayer meeting, where you already had people who had been so surrendered to the will of God. Yeah. You're walking into a spiritual atmosphere that's surrendered to the will of God, and now all of a sudden, the openness to hear God's voice with clarity beyond doubt is at your fingertips. And so if you're listening and you're struggling to hear God's voice in prayer, perhaps you need to go to a place where there are people who have already li- surrendered themselves fully yeah. to God's will and and pray with them and, and allow those. I mean, I love it. Like people will, yeah. you'll see it all the time. College students come here. Yeah. They don't know what to do with their life. Yeah. The moment they get here, they have clarity beyond doubt yep. what God's asking of them. Why? That's because why it changes kids when they come. Right. Yeah. Because right. they're here for a whole week. Yeah. 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 And I do think God doesn't just use people, he uses places. And so like there's something about certain places or environments where God dwells, right? And he dwells everywhere, but he, his presence is thick in some areas. But you made the same reason. point with the parents earlier, right? It's not that I was ever not with my parents, but there's moments that are highlighted with my parents. And yeah. Maybe even in specific places with my parents where something special yeah. happened. Like, yeah. Like it doesn't discredit the fact that my parents were with me the entire time. It simply elevates those times yeah. that really stick out to me in the same way that Jesus being next to me would be amazing. I'm not going to diminish that awesomeness if he was physically right here sitting at a chair across from us. Yet the Holy Spirit in me doesn't diminish that. It simply elevates the awesomeness available to us. All right, another quick question before we jump forward in your story, Father. You, it sounds like clearly you were. Uh, in great youth ministry growing up since yes. they had summer camps. I mean, yeah. it, it's the best opportunity. And uh, But what, what uh, do other youth ministry moments stand out? What, was, what made your youth ministry as a, as a child effective? Uh, yes. Boy, I, <clears throat> I talk about this a lot with my students at the university and with the local youth ministers. Um, yeah, I actually had great youth ministers that were nationally known within my denomination. And, uh, and they were just... High fun and power of the Holy Spirit and teaching. So uh, we just we had a great time, and they sounds like the apostles. Huh. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, say there's yeah. something about that they, combination. They they just they did they just did fun things, and and uh, it stinks today. Half of the fun things are illegal now. Uh, you know, I mean, you just pull up after school, load kids in your car, and head off to McDonald's. And did you sign a you waiver? Just, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> no. Yeah. And uh, but just. Great programming, but really simple programming. It wasn't super complicated, but um, you know, praise and worship, and um, and and real simple. We didn't have crazy bands and all stuff. It was it was guitars, whatnot. But um, and uh, but teaching. I mean, they we taught. I remember in junior high learning about pre-incarnate theophanies in the Old Testament. Well. Like what the heck is that? It's <laughs> like okay, uh, so for, yeah. for those of you don't know what a pre-incarnate theophany yeah. is, like Mount Sinai would be. Yeah, right, right, right. yeah. Where well, theophany God is when God manifests Himself right. in a right. powerful right. way. And uh, and I just remember that, like from what that's you talk about those, those moments to stand out as yeah. a kid. I just thought that's like the coolest word ever. Yeah, and yeah. I just remembered but, that. But, but Pentecostals love the word theophany. <laughs> I feel like whenever I'm listening to like a YouTube video of like a Pentecostal, they're preaching yeah. on a theophany. But they yeah. taught in a relevant way for our appropriate age and but in in high school I mean we were being taught um we'd go through you know books of the bible we would be taught apologetics we would be taught specifically how to share our faith how to evangelize we'd be taken on mission we're now we're going to go to this high school campus we're all just going to go out there and find conversations get evangelized till we get thrown off the campus nice. uh we're going to go to mexico we're going to go on mission we're going to go to the olympics and do street evangelism and so it, which oh. is really the heart of Pentecostalism uh, and Foursquare in particular, 
I mean, um, the denomination had 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 four core doctrines: the cross, the cup, the dove, the crown. Well, they had all the rest of fundamental Christianity. These are the four missions: the cross, the cup, the dove, the crown. Jesus, the Savior. Everybody needs a Savior. The cup. Jesus, the Healer. He wants to heal you spiritually and physically. <laughs> Um, the dove, Jesus, the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He wants to empower you. And the crown, Jesus, the soon and coming king. He's coming back soon, so you better get on the stick now That's and awesome. get to the awesome. business of that the kingdom. Awesome. He wants to yes. save you, heal you, empower you, So four-square Pentecostalism back. is not all about playing four-square. It is not. Oh, yeah. man. That, did you, you guys let down. Did you have four-square at your summer camp, at least? We did not. Oh, oh, God. God. That's probably why you up. left the faith. They lost a marketing opportunity lies. there. <laughs> no, that's really powerful. I like those four squares. That's pretty. Yeah. Those, like that's a great too. way to share the gospel. Well, and I also like the the three like simple uh, pieces to effective evangelization: fun, power of the Holy Spirit, yeah. teaching. Like, mm-hmm. like that is yeah. it. Like because what are we all drawn to in the world? Things that are enjoyable, like mm-hmm. for good and for bad. Yeah. And when they're around the Lord, they're good. So let's enjoy being around the Lord, yeah. right? Yeah. Let's bring power into it. Because if it's a faith that doesn't do anything, then it's not, not very important. Real. Yes, right. <laughs> and, and at a yeah. minimum, if it is real, it's distant and really not yeah. important in yeah. my life. But if it's powerful and it changes things, yeah. right? And, and to teach that and to teach the where yeah. that comes. But the faith to do something, you've got to put people in a place where they have to step out in faith beyond their comfort zone. Yeah. So we were invited to, hey, we're going to go to street evangelism. Like, yeah, that's amazing. I don't know what in to do. Yeah. And, and you get to realize, I actually have nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and and you got to put people in those places, which I think many of our youth ministries uh, don't yeah. um, stretch out in that way. Our parishes definitely don't, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's 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 where you see then the Holy Spirit begin to actively work. Yeah, exactly. We're starting, and because the we're starting a program here at Damascus called the Youth Leadership Institute, and because. So often we teach the faith, and, and I think as Catholics, we're actually really good at the teaching sure. component. But because we lack power or application, we often don't own the faith, right? And so we may know the faith, but we don't own it. And the Youth Leadership Institute, we're trying to, to teach the missionary lifestyle, but then also invite them into an annual mission. If you're going to say that you're a missionary disciple, you have to have yeah. a mission. And yeah. so what is your yeah. mission? Is it street evangelization? Is it ministry to your school? Is right. it ministry at, at your parish? But to, to say, okay, I am walking into the missional life of the church. Enjoy. And when that gets planted in, in the early years of, of high school, yeah. it does open that door to say, Lord, are you inviting me to full-time ministry? Which is, is well, and it's adventurous, which is yeah. fun, right? And then there's a power in it. I actually see God come through in ways that I wouldn't have been able to see him come through. Amen. You're listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Radio. You can listen to the whole version of today's show at www.ewtn.com slash radio slash podcasts. Or check us out on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. We'll be right back with this episode after a short break. St. Hildegard of Bingen was a mystic, an abbess, a botanist, a saint, and a doctor of the church. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. Hildegard had her first visions at the age of three, which she called the Shade of the Living Light. She later wrote about them in works declared by St. Bernard of Clairvaux to be from God. Pope Benedict XVI agreed when he named her only one of four doctors of the church who are women in 2012. For more about the doctors of the church, 
Visit doctorsofthechurch.com. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. I'm quite sure I've heard over a thousand conversion stories. And when you hear this, you have this opportunity of asking the question, oh, like, Lord, what was it that opened this person's heart to you? What did you use? The Journey Home with Marcus Grodi, Monday night, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. Okay, so maybe what are some of the highs, the lows, the how was God moving in your ministry when you were a Pentecostal pastor? So our, the end of our California days was kind of the tail end, mid to tail end of the... Toronto Pentecostal outpouring, Toronto blessing. There. Did you ever go to Toronto? Never did. Okay. Never did, but our pastor did, and um, but then went up to up to Washington State, the first church we pastored. That's where there was just some real, real, real deep brokenness. A lot of church splits happening in that place, and that was the first place where the Lord really deeply ingrained in us what does it mean to be called to the mission. Because there was a church, there was a group in the church that didn't like the senior pastor, and then I was associate, and they decided to stay and financially starve out the staff. So they all started stockpiling their tithe nice. to try and financially starve out everybody, so we would that have sounds, to leave. That sounds biblical. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was. I think in Acts they dropped dead. <laughs> no. It was intense, and so. We all met. And we're like, okay, we have a choice. We either have to go do something else, or we have to figure out how to operate with what God's called us to. And so we had to ask the question, are we called here for a paycheck, or are we called here? That's and the universal answer between all the staff, which there was three ministers and, and a secretary, uh, we're called here. Mm. So we made some radical sacrifices. While each had four homes, yeah. we all said, let's move in together. So wow. we all just got like one three-bedroom home. I mean, us that and, is biblical, right? Us and the youth minister. <laughs> no, actually so the youth minister and his kids and my wife, and we had one kid and had our second kid, and that, we're sharing one three-bedroom house. Then the others moved in together. Oh, and wow. And the Lord brought us through that and overcame that root of division and bitterness and brought real wow. health and wholeness to the church. And we thought, fantastic, we're going to serve here for the next you know, 20 years, and it's going to be glorious. And shortly after that, the Lord's like, I want you to go to Seattle and plant a church, start a new congregation in Foursquare. And I'm like, Lord, no, we just got through difficulty. We just want to enjoy the fruits of the land for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, Yeah, I love how he does that. As soon as you break yeah. through the... The dryness and the hardship. He's like, I've got a new mission. You're like, yes. ah! Yes. And, it's like and, he doesn't want us to live for comfort. Yeah, and you, t- you talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord had been giving me this in prayer, and I was like, Lord, no. I said, no, no, two times. And the third time, he's like, I want you to go to Seattle. And my uh, my best friend had moved up there and was starting starting the congregation. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you've got to tell my wife this as well. So I went to her and said, you've got to pray. Hear what God's telling you. And I'm not going to tell you what he's telling me. <laughs> nice. I, that's actually really that good. I like She that. went away and prayed for the we week. We do that sometimes. Came back and said, supposed to go to Seattle. Nice. I was like, dang. <laughs> uh, so as and, if the Lord speaks with one voice. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's amazing. But that's part of the work of the Holy Spirit working in us, that act of seeking. And so then that took us to Seattle and we started... That so yeah in in Protestantism church planting is where you start a new congregation with your denomination in an area where there isn't a congregation and so we started we had like twelve fourteen people or so and uh, and then started from scratch and meeting in a home and then slowly 
growing from there. The church never became really large, but it was there when I moved to Seattle. That's where I encountered the Catholic Church, um, and uh, where the Lord began to open that door. The day I turned on the radio and caught Catholic radio. Yeah, yeah, that's so powerful. You turn on the radio and caught Catholic radio. So what happens when you catch Catholic radio? So I'm scanning the dial. I'm thinking, I'm in the big city now. What kind of talk radio can I find? I find a station. It sounds like it's something religious-oriented. I'm a pastor. I like to listen to religious things. So I'm listening, and I hear that it's it's Catholic. And I'm like, wait a minute. Who's a, who's ever heard of Catholic radio? And it turned out it, it was Catholic Answers. This is 99. It had, they started in 98, so this is just after their launch. Is this EWTN? EWTN Radio. Hey, yeah. shout out to EWTN who yeah, carries uh, Beyond do. Damascus. Yes. Thank uh, you. And um, so I listened for the whole hour. Disagree 100% with <laughs> all of the doctrine. But the two guys I listened to captivated me. I tuned back in the next day just because they were so captivated. Because as I listened, they were they were Christ-centered. They were evangelistic. They were biblical. They were charitable and unapologetically Catholic. And I was like, wait a minute. Hmm. I've I've How never met an evangelistic, together. charitable, biblical Catholic. It's like usually you add Catholic to the mix, and all those others like dissipate. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they're yeah. not they're like oil and water. They're not or evangelistic. <laughs> yeah. They're not biblical. And, and so the I, Lord. I literally tuned back in the next day um, because I was like, man, I felt like if we all went and hung out at Starbucks, we would have some things in common, but they're Catholic. So I, was, I tuned back in to find out are these the only two excited Catholics on the planet, or are there more of these people? I did not come for any of the doctrine, it was the encounter with the persons and the power of that personal witness wow. that was attractive that allowed me to come back and then eventually open up to the So doctor. there's not, yeah, I find that the Pentecostals don't have a, a, as much of a chip on the shoulder towards Catholics sometimes. Well, other that's not true. I mean, so okay. they're some of the biggest purveyors of the horror Babylon and oh, wow. um, okay. uh, was depending on the denomination. The okay. denomination I grew up in wasn't that way, but, but no, some are... are uh, what, what decade super, is this? Super yeah. strident. What decade is this? Uh, 99. So, okay, so this, is this 99. one I flipped on the radio is 99. Okay. Yeah. And then, so what happens next, Father? You're, you, how do you find yourself journeying towards Yeah, so I began, yeah, so I wasn't so much excited in radio. I was just excited that there was some people talking about Jesus and they were Catholic, and that was curiosity. And uh, so as I began just to listen on an occasional basis, driving around in the car, radio is really accessible. Nobody has to know you're listening to it. And, uh, and, but they, they would keep talking about things that sounded reasonable. That sounds interesting. It sounds reasonable. But I would go back and look in Scripture. But then the, the thing that was new to me was they would be talking about the church fathers. And I had no, I, no idea who the church fathers were. As far as I was concerned, these were secret Vatican documents hidden away in a vault somewhere that only the Pope and some select few had access to. And they would talk about these guys, and I just had never ever heard of them. Pentecostals are uniquely ahistorical. There's like today and Acts 2. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, everything else in between is irrelevant because yeah. people need Jesus today. Well, whatever happened 500 years ago was great and all, but people are hurting, broken, they need an encounter with the Lord today, which is true. But these church fathers, once I started to unpack this and realized they weren't secret Vatican documents and realized that, wait a minute, you're telling me there are apostles that had disciples, and those disciples wrote stuff. Like, who wouldn't want to read what the disciple of John wrote? Or the guy who was ordained by Peter, why wouldn't I want to read that? If I'm going to pick out any book in the bookstore today, why on earth would I not want to go dig into those guys? And if I'm going to give anybody the time of day and consider them accurate, how much more compelling would it be to be the disciples of the apostles? <laughs> yeah. That just blew my mind. Mm. And, and I'm a big context guy, so there's nothing worse than somebody 
grabbing a scripture and just kind of preaching for the next hour on some tangential thing that is, you know, off a key word that's really not at all what the text is yeah. about. So I would, they would have some quote from the church father. They'd read a scripture. Here's what this says. Here's what the church father says, how they understood it. So then I would go dig up the church father, fully expecting the context to not bear out what they said. Mm. And just at every turn, the, the more I read, the more it strengthened, strengthened the, 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 the argument yeah. or the point. And, and that, that was uh, just became absolutely compelling yeah. for me. You're listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Radio. You can listen to the whole version of today's show at www.ewtn.com slash radio slash podcasts. Or check us out on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. We'll be right back with this episode after a short break. EWTN, communicating the faith. It's so very important that everybody out there not just love Jesus. We all need to fall in love with Jesus. We can't do anything until we fall in love with Him. And what that means, and we can totally understand it as human beings, when you fall in love with someone, you do anything for the Beloved. The EWTN on-demand platform features 50 new podcasts every week, as well as an ever-expanding library of audio and video content. For Catholics who want to learn more about their faith, simply using their mobile device, computer, or TV. Your favorite EWTN programs are available 24-7. Visit EWTN.com and click On Demand. EWTN, the global Catholic network. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. Beyond Damascus is aired on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network and right here in Central Ohio on St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. I just want to tell one piece of the story that's just part of the crazy in the process. Yeah. But that's what the Holy Spirit specializes in, where uh, summer 2003, I'm speaking at a denominational summer camp and uh, ooh, ooh, summer camp shout ooh. out summer camp good things happen <laughs> good to summer camp cyc be that's here right, that's right. um and and the guy who oversaw the camp he wasn't running the actual program but he just it was his, his facility he said hey drake i think i you know lord has something for you that I, to share with you and i said great so we go and we meet in his office he prays for a bit and he just says you know i just i see this just kind of picture in my mind and uh, you and your family on a seashore and uh and out on the on the water is like this giant ocean liner. I'm like, sweet. We're getting a cruise. This is my kind. name it, <laughs> name it and claim it. This is my kind of, uh, ship, yes. yes. And, um, and he's, then he says, and on the side of the ship, it says the queen Mary. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking the big boat docked in California to call the queen Mary. And, uh, and then, and he says a few more things, gets done, just looks at me, says, I don't know. I think maybe you're supposed to have something to do with the Catholic church. So then I tell him everything yeah. I've been learning with zero inclination of becoming Catholic. And uh, so we talk a little bit. So I head home from that camp with this kind of increased pursuit of studying Catholicism from the point of uh, thinking that I would, I would help maybe Catholics come out of Catholicism into my denomination and whatnot. And, but it's then during that year, so getting basically this Marian vision from a Protestant guy at this <laughs> camp <laughs> ramps me up on my Catholicism study until I, I, I felt like it was just like one day I was just like reading, reading, and like I turned the last page and was like, 
and he became oh crud (laughs) it's true (laughs) and and there's lots more twists and turns in that but and 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 there was just that overwhelming sense of this is true and if it's true i have to respond and and that's the only reason to do any of this is if it's true and 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 i was literally this is not hyperbole literally sick to my stomach for a week Begging God, don't make me become Catholic. Lord, anything but Catholic. Lord, I've never refused you anything. We've gone everywhere you said to go. Don't make me (laughs) become Catholic. Except for the Catholic Church. That's right. Don't send me to Nineveh, Lord. Uh, (laughs) uh, And... and the of Steubenville is not too bad compared to Nineveh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Steubenville is heaven on earth. Uh, I mean, but that... The thought of being Catholic was... Uh, by uh, a much bigger obstacle than finally wrestling through all the doctrines. Was your wife going through this process at the same time, and was that an easy process for both of you to make the decision? So, no, she wasn't really going at the same time. I finally, when I got to the place and said, I finally came and talked to her and said, man, here's what's been going on. If I can't find what I'm looking for to disprove this, we might need to become Catholic. And um, she said, but all good Protestants say that, well, can't we just like believe it and become something else? Like choose our own thing or, you know, yeah. and uh, <laughs> uh, like, I don't know. And, but because God gave me a good woman and he knew I needed a good holy woman, um, she during, during Holy Week that year uh, just took three days to fast and pray during that week and uh, came back after that week and just said, Lord, just give me peace. And, um, and wherever you, wherever you take us, we'll go. Nice. And uh, and she just said, the Lord just told me, you've always led us to Christ, and I shouldn't doubt that you would keep doing that. Wow. And I was like, what? That's too easy. I, I get to like bang my head for years. You just to go fast and pray for three days, and you're okay with this. And so I kept bugging her for the whole week, and finally she kind of snapped at me at the end of the week. She's take like, notes. listen, if you take us into the Catholic Church tomorrow, we'll go. Man, so wow. docile. Yeah, yeah so she's awesome. God. So she, then that opened her up to her own journey and own study. Mm-hmm. She was raised Episcopalian through junior high. So okay. once we really got into it, there was a whole. There was a lot of seeds already planted, mm-hmm. um, but um, so yeah, she's just been a gift my my whole life. So because we don't have a lot more time, yeah. just to so you guys entered the church in what year? Entered two thousand four, and then you didn't. You were ordained in two thousand nineteen, so no. you had a good right. fifteen year journey. Yep. just to the priesthood. Yeah, so let's talk about that. And so it wasn't your original plan to become a priest when you entered the church, correct? Not necessarily. the 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 decision to say yes to the Lord and come into the Catholic Church was. For the sake of the Lord, mm-hmm. period. People would ask me, why, why do you become Catholic? So my desire to become Catholic was not to join an organization, was to follow Jesus Christ to Wasn't the a career fullest path. extent possible. That led me to the Catholic Church, knowing that when I go in, I may be saying goodbye to ministry for the rest of my life, for all I knew. Yeah. That, wow. that I, I don't, you don't get to come with conditions. Yeah. Um, so that... To follow Jesus to the fullest extent possible. That's a beautiful, yeah. beautiful call. Yeah. So I knew there was the possibility of some ministers becoming yeah. becoming priests, but I didn't come with that in mind. Uh, it's easier if you're Anglican Episcopalian. The further you get down on the church totem pole, of which Pentecostals are pretty low, it gets harder and harder. Um, so I entered the church. We just served, came out of Steubenville, got an education, and just I jumped in and was just serving in the church. Uh, once I got inside, realized, oh, pretty much everything I've ever known in ministry is totally available, you know, in every possible way. And then once the diaconate opened up in our diocese, which we were one of the last dioceses or latest ones to re- get the permanent diaconate, we didn't start until 2009, um, I, I presented myself to that. Because one of the things that was on my heart was I wanted to serve 
in the heart of the church as much as possible. Namely, there's loads of fantastic apostolates, Damascus, gather you yeah, summer yeah. camp, yeah. that are, that are, but I, I didn't want to just be a part of an apostolate lobbying orthodoxy into the church. I wanted to be as much in the church. So when people encounter somebody who's yeah. working in the church, they're not like, I went to this camp and it was awesome, but my church is lame. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so when the diaconate came, I figured I'd jump into the diaconate. It was during that year of discernment for the diaconate, the Holy Spirit just kept pounding me. You need to ask the question, do you qualify for the dispensation? I took him to my spiritual director, expecting him to, to kind of dismiss it, but he didn't. He said, oh, let's do it. He talked to the bishop. Bishop was open to it. And uh, so that began the process. He had me withdraw from the diaconate because discernment for that is different, permanent diaconate, and and, uh, and then began the process. Yeah, and it was about, from the time I knocked on the bishop's door till ordination, it was about 10 years. Wow. And, um, and it didn't need to take that long, but there were certain things that kind of slowed it down. But uh, Father Ray Ryland uh, was just a super holy man, also a married priest in Steubenville, uh, hung out at St. Peter's, and he was the first... Anglican to submit an application for the dispensation once that opened up in the early 70s. And he, I think, was the third man ordained under this pastoral provision. Wow. And, uh, and so I just spent some time discerning with him because the bishop said, you need to discern, are you called? And I remember talking to him about the challenges, family, life, whatnot, because yeah, yeah. he was married and had kids. And he's like, Drake, if you, if you come, you come, period. No qualifications. You, you, you don't know what happens yeah. when you say yes to the priesthood, so you don't get to come if, and um, and that that was a real important important part of the discernment. So the um, you're a married priest. Uh, would you would you say we should get rid of priestly celibacy and just have every priest? This is the the solution to end priest scandals. This is a solution mm-hmm. in the priest shortage. Just bring on married priesthood. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, why is that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll say a couple of things with this. Uh, so one, I always just make sure that make really clear whenever I talk about this, that people know I, I'm not an activist. I'm not here to advocate for the end of priestly celibacy. I'm simply here to serve the Lord yes. in whatever way the church allows in the maximum way the church allows. And if at any point she'd pulled the plug in the process, I would have said, amen. I've, I presented myself, did, I did my part and I'll do whatever I can. Um, yeah, you never even came with an agenda, right? You that's just came the, with yes, hands open. Just yep. yes, that's conditional. Yeah, it's that, and the, it's really true. And I, I, I'm not trying to toot my horn there, but but that's that's, and I think there was there was a lot of that perspective in my formative ministry years, as as just that disposition was there within within a lot of what we did. But um, but but two, uh, the reason that married priesthood is not the answer. Um, is within many of the Protestant denominations, they are struggling for vocations as well, and they're all universally uh, have married uh, clergy. And uh, what the 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 priest the priestly shortage and the crisis of priests has to do with this right here: That's my right. conversion to Jesus Christ in the heart in a way that transformed my life to such a way that I'm willing to give an unconditional yes. Mm, and so we don't talk about vocations; we rarely evangelize on that in churches. Families aren't talking about it. Uh, we need holier priests. We need churches that are on mission, that are evangelizing, that are, are uh, giving priests um, the perspective of priesthood that is is on mission and not just managers and administrators and kind of keeping keeping track of things. And um, uh, and we, uh, there's there's loads of of brokenness amongst married ministers. So 
yeah, so the, the, the marriage is not the linchpin. And so, yeah, I feel like I'll come to Jesus as long as I can have sex. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're probably not a as good long, candidate. Yeah, right. Um, Whenever I'll come to Jesus is followed by yeah. as long as. <laughs> yes, <laughs> then you're probably off. And, and the other thing, though, I also say is uh, Father Thomas Loyola, who's an Eastern Rite pre- priest, has a show on EWTN called Light of the East. And had some really good material on the marriage in the Eastern Rites. And yeah. then I also make clear that marriage is not contrary, marriage in the priesthood is not contrary to the Catholic faith. It's just not, it's foreign to the Latin Rite, but it's not foreign to the Eastern Rite, which has as a norm the ability for a married man to present himself to priesthood. And so um, while, it's, while it's not the norm in the Latin Rite, uh, it's, not, it's not contrary. Sometimes people want to lump married priesthood in with like, the, the advocating women priesthood is like, no, these are two totally, totally one. You're talking a doctrinal issue. The other's a disciplinary. Yeah. Seattle ministry, California ministry, how have you taken what you experienced in Pentecostalism and how has that shaped your priesthood today? Yeah, I would say, number one, that sense of expectancy. I think that's one of the, the most significant things the Holy Spirit does in us is the, therefore, what, Lord? What do you want me to do? Um, and and living with that kind of outlook and perspective, uh, that I was that was just the ethos in which we were, you know, kind of birthed in and lived in. That that God wants all of us to be doing something, and, and God uh, wants to do something. Yes, <laughs> expectancy in Him yes. too. Like, yes. what are you going to do? Yeah, and well, and that's I would say that is the expectancy. Yeah. the expectancy yes. is in is in yeah. is in the Lord. Where are you, where are you leading me? And so. So bringing that into into preaching, I preach a lot about mission. I'm sure my parish gets sick and tired of hearing about it. <laughs> um, and um, but I think that's the sense of mission, the sense of the active working of the Holy Spirit, uh, is you know colors my outlook to priesthood, and um, and how that comes in, and then the way that my Catholicism uh, informs that. When I came into the Catholic Church, I, I very I concretely. Uh, came into the church and set aside kind of my whole ministry tool bucket. I just kind of set it aside here. And I, I wanted to soak in what does it mean to be Catholic? What are the things I'm less familiar with? And uh, what are the things that I, I need to learn? And I was the, 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 the concrete thought was I need to Catholicize my Protestantism, not Protestantize my Catholicism. So as I soaked more in the church, then I kind of looked back in the tool bucket and like, okay, no, this, this one's compatible. This one's good. Nope, this one's good. All right, that one can stay. Uh, this yeah. one's good. And uh, so rooting all of the zeal and the joy and the Holy Spirit and the gifts in the, you've got the, the concrete, firm doctrine of the faith, and in particular, the Eucharist. I used to just wonder, what will people do in my church if they came for 40 years? And do, what, I should think before I was Catholic, what are they going to, what will they still be getting from me if I'm preaching? And coming into the church to answer that question, oh, a Eucharist. <laughs> that hopefully by the time you're in your 70s, you're not like getting super, super excited about, you know, these basic things that everybody else is still like, what? John 3.16, we never heard. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's great. And uh, that's, so that, that's a great Those two word. coming together, the, I think the, the zeal, the expectancy, the, the active mission, along with that firm foundation of the church rooted in the Eucharist as the kind of the ultimate anchor point. So naturally, another question about married priesthood is, is your, is your priesthood easier because you're married? Is your priesthood harder because you're married? Or is your priesthood still just priesthood? And there's yes. goodness and there's hardships all yes. together. Yes. yes. <laughs> so 
Um, I would say actually, right, the, uh, the, the family is not what makes anything more difficult because our family was always a part of ministry. We yes, were doing street were ministry. We took ministry. the kids down to the street, stroller on the street, yeah. hanging out with the homeless people. And we were just kind of all in. We had homeless people live with us. Um, and uh, uh, so I would say the family's not the challenge. But when the bishop ordained me, he says, great, you have a job. Praise God. He had me keep my full-time job at Franciscan and then do a priesthood on top of that. And mm-hmm. so, so that's, that's probably the biggest challenge that right now I would love to be able just to kind of be full tilt. I'd love to just be doing priestly ministry. Um, and so hopefully that will happen in the, in the, in the future here. But um, so, but the family aspect definitely adds some challenge. Sometimes there's a choir concert and you want to go be a present to your kids. And um, sometimes there's, you know, track meet or something. And, and, um, so, so those things definitely impact it, but, um, but our family in general is a pretty mission-minded family as well. And, um, but, um, well, I met, I spent some time with your daughter last summer and I'll just tell you what, I mean, she was one of the most remarkable, <laughs> like disciples of the Lord I've ever seen. And like, she was so filled with the Holy Spirit, so articulate in the faith, like so mm-hmm. impassioned with give, sharing the faith with others. Like it was like, and I, I think there can be a fear that, oh my gosh, if someone's involved in full-time ministry, the, the pastor's kids aren't going to get enough attention. And I'll just say, as looking at pastor's kids, they've gotten a lot of love and attention, and your daughter is just an incredible Praise witness God. of the gospel. Praise God. So, and, and most of the kids that are here from the, your guys' diocese, she's invited. She is. And, and there are definitely there's pitfalls there that it's easy for, but, but it's not just ministers i mean it's easier for for men that show up to work i was gonna say so yeah, too with all yeah, that, yeah that, that you can just pour yourself into that other thing and yes. ignore your family so sometimes people ask me that i said do you think it's do you think priesthood is any more work than the ceo of whatever company and yeah. who has a family as well yeah. and so so it's it's a matter of of priorities and where are you placing those priorities and so definitely it does take some time what paul said is true any man yeah. who is married will be divided to some extent because you have to For think sure. about some concrete things. Absolutely, that is true. And that's why virginity for the sake of the kingdom, from the earliest, even though there was, had been married priests and bishops all throughout history up till you know, the 1000s, um, still virginity for the sake of the kingdom was always seen as the, the ultimate gift, and it is, yeah, because absolutely. that is the greatest way to give your totality of yourself to the Lord. All right, Father, what, what would you like to say to, like, what's stirring in your heart right now? How, how would you like Amen. to close us out? I think what's, what's on my heart is, um, yeah, we, and where you started, we, we've got to be a people on mission. The thing that I, I, that I started the camp with this week in my homily, I'm going to talk about more this afternoon, is um, but Jesus Christ didn't come to establish the church for us to just have mass and go home. Like the mission, when you go to the catechism, when it says under the mission of the church, it doesn't mention the mass. It doesn't mention the liturgy. The mission is go into all the world and make disciples. That's why the church exists. It doesn't exist to perpetuate itself. It exists to engage people with the gospel, to invite them to come to salvation because we want them them in eternity. and, uh, And that's what all of us need to be on. And it's so great that we've got more and more today people who are in lay life, who are on mission, because that, that, that is still being awoken yes. in the church, the idea that it's not just the callers and the religious, but it's, 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 it's everybody. And it's the Holy Spirit is the key active agent in calling us to mission and fostering that expectancy for him to encounter us. Friends, thanks for listening to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. You can listen to the whole version of today's show by searching for Beyond Damascus on YouTube or your favorite podcast app.